Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about victims and services to support victims of crime sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I'm Anna Nassett, and I am your host for this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, I am delighted and honored to have Karen Tronsgaard-Scott from the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence here to talk about interpersonal violence during the pandemic of COVID-19. This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state, but throughout the country that could benefit all. And today we are going to be looking at immediate needs, responses, and resources um, versus longer term immediate needs and resources. As always, I like to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics but with that in mind, we occasionally may hear a story related to crime, discuss our mental health or other sensitive matter. We urge you to take care of yourself and listen at your own discretion. Today, as I said, I'm delighted to have Karen here from the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence, which I'll call the Vermont Network as we move forward through this interview. Karen is the Executive Director for the Vermont Network. Vermont's federally recognized coalition of organizations seeking to end violence against women and people. She is nationally recognized speaker on issues related to domestic and sexual violence and on nonprofit leadership. Karen began her career in advocacy and nonprofit leadership in the 1980s as a volunteer at a school for children with developmental disabilities in Columbia, Sri Lanka, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. She was the executive director of a domestic violence and sexual violence service organization in Southeastern Ohio for 13 years prior to coming here to Vermont to lead the Vermont Network. Thank you so much for being here today, Karen. I am so honored to be on this podcast, Anna, and just appreciate being asked. You're doing such incredible work. I watch every episode and I just really appreciate having the opportunity to be with you. Well, thank you. Um, we are recording from our homes, as many people are doing right now, and Initially, I didn't know if we'd be able to record during this time of quarantine. And so when I found out two days ago that we could, I immediately reached out to Karen as my number one guest I would want to have on right now. And I'm just such a fan of you and you've really shaped me and my career and everything I've been doing. So it's such an mm -hmm. honor and just such an honor to have your voice during this time. Well, back right at you, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. How are you doing uh, being at home? Well, you know, I'm doing well. I, uh, I don't know if you can see behind me are this, this little wall of uh, mandalas. I'm on a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot, where <laughs> I'm just listening because uh, we're in conversation all the time with um, our federal partners and our national partners. And so I started the practice of coloring mandalas well, I'm sitting on Zoom meetings and, you know, of course I'm taking notes, but it's a little bit therapeutic. So it's helping me, you know, get in touch with my artistic side and uh, it's a good stress reliever. That's awesome. And it's important to do something creative like that when doing this work. And I, I envision that shortly all of your walls will be covered. Possibly. Covered, right. Covered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is such a important time for, the work you were doing in domestic and sexual violence as we have this quarantine in place as we're dealing with this mm -hmm. pandemic. And so that's what we're gonna discuss today. Okay. But I'd love to start with um, 
you explaining to our listener the role of the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence here in our state mm -hmm. and how each state has a similar organization? Okay, great. I'm so happy to be able to talk about this. So in our state, we have 15 nonprofit organizations that comprise the membership of the Vermont Network and they provide direct services to survivors of domestic and sexual violence in, um, in literally every corner of our state. Um, and I, I wanna mention that our, our uh, membership also includes the Pride Center and their Safe Space Program, which is a statewide organization. The other member organizations are um, localized generally all along the lines of counties. So there's an organization in every county. And um, the network was formed by those organizations back in 1986 to represent their voices in a statewide and in the national realm. Um, so we do things at the network like provide lots and lots of training. We convene people to have crucial conversations. We um, represent the voices of um, survivors and the organizations that serve them in the state legislature, as well as with our congressional delegation and in Congress. Uh, and then the other thing that the network does is we work with state systems to improve responses to, um, to survivors of domestic and sexual violence. And I wanna say, when I say survivors of domestic and sexual violence, I'm shortcutting a little bit because we know that the folks that are included in that, under that umbrella of domestic and sexual violence um, also include people who are survivors of stalking, people are survivors um, of uh, some folks who are survivors of human trafficking and people who are surviving dating violence. We also work very closely with the Vermont Center, I'm sorry, for the, um, with the Vermont um, Domestic Violence Council to uh, provide oversight and support for the um, various treatment programs for people who perpetrate those, those crimes or people who are, who are use violence in their relationships. So um, we really, we, you know, we have our hands in a lot of pots and we're trying to make sure that systems and um, responses are meeting the needs of survivors across our state. We're not unlike organizations that exist in every state in our, in our country. So many, many years ago, decades of years, decades ago, uh, the, the, the Family Violence Prevention and Services Act was passed in Congress. And through that law, it established um, organizations like the Vermont Network. And so across the state, or I'm sorry, across the country in every state, there's an organization just like the network. And in some states, there's, there's two organizations. So in the network, at the network, we are concerned about issues related to all of the things I just talked about. In some states, there's two organizations. One organization that's, um, that focuses on domestic violence and one organization that focuses on sexual violence. I've only ever worked, we're called a dual organization. I've only ever worked at a dual organization. So I don't have a lot of expertise about how they sort that all out. Uh, and I'm, I'm great, I'm, I think everyone does just an incredible job, but I am grateful to have always worked in a dual organization because I think it just speaks to the real, reality of people's lives. Absolutely, it speaks to the crossover that these, right. these, these things are not indicate, they're not separate, they're together so often and right. they need right. to be responded to together. Awesome. That's right. Well, I am such a fan of the network and have really enjoyed getting to do some Thank work you. with you all um, over the last two years. And as you were talking, I remembered I was supposed to be working with everyone today at um, the Victims Assistance Academy. That's right. That's um, right. 
So, you know, I just really admire the work that you all are doing to to serve all of these different organizations and to serve the people who are working within them and ultimately serving Thank victims you. and survivors. You know, I am, I consider myself to be incredibly blessed because the people I work with at the network, our team at the network is, they're, they're like butter. They're so great. They're amazing. <laughs> they're amazing. I'm honored to work with them. And the people that are working at our organizations, our member organizations are equally incredible. I mean, they're just, what they're doing right now is heroic. It's just absolutely. amazing. So, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for the recognition. Yes. Well, let's start to talk about some of these heroic things that people are doing right now. Um, you know, as we began to really see the spread of COVID-19 and this pandemic across the world, I feel like you all quickly realized that this was going to be coming here and started to mm -hmm. put things in place. Um, what were some of the first thoughts and concerns and how did the network prepare a month ago, two months ago for where mm -hmm. we would be now? Well, you know, I we really started paying attention to this, I think, across the network at the beginning of March. And, you know, we were hearing from our colleagues in Washington state that things were getting very difficult. We were watching what was happening in, in um, direct services organizations out there. And so we started talking about what could happen. And, and you know, I think we were watching for, for um, that first week of March, the second week of March, we started actually preparing for the reality that we will we would be working remotely. Most of the member organizations, as well as the network, um, you know, watered the plants and cleaned out the fridge on the 13th of March. And folks, uh, they, they started um, isolating in their homes. The, the, the thing that just strikes me, and I just kind of can't get over it, is how quickly these domestic and sexual violence organizations in our state transitioned from highly interactive, face-to-face -face service provision to equal quality remote service provision. So, you know, the hotlines have been open without, uh, without interruption since all the, it's, uh, it's remarkable there. And, and the, um, the the shelter you know the situation in shelters is pretty it's difficult and it was those first two weeks the week starting the week of the 16th it was wild because we were getting direction from the office of economic opportunity who are doing a fantastic job i mean really i have to call out sarah phillips i don't i don't think she's actually eaten or slept since wow. august began and she's you know unsung hero inside state government um but they started really thinking far out. They started thinking way ahead and thinking about what's gonna happen when people start testing positive in shelters. How do we minimize the spread of the, of the virus for people who are living in shelters, not just domestic and sexual violence shelters, but homeless shelters as well. So they created this system that, um, and funded it where folks in shelter, uh, there's some screening that happens. People are sorted out based on their vulnerability, their high, their risk level. High risk folks are put immediately into hotel rooms. Folks are are in shelter, but we've had to move people out of shelter because we need to decrease the volume of people in shelters so we can have space. And then um, and then there's a whole set of things that happen if somebody tests positive, but they're, and they're they're sick, but they're not that you know they're not not sick enough to have to go to the hospital. Right. Our, 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 the employees at these domestic violence, the advocates, the executive directors have 
like picked this up and and just just made the changes they need to make it overnight it's amazing it's really remarkable it's something else they're also getting you know calls from the community as you can imagine as the state has gone into these you know these phases of lockdown people are not able to work there now and there's this gap between when you're not you know some for some folks when you're not able to work anymore where your your job is shut down and then the, the resources that are designed to help you so getting unemployment things like that they don't have food so they're calling our our organizations there and so they're there's exec and mostly it's executive directors that are going in but they're going in and they're packing up food they're um, leaving it on the porch they're uh you know just making sure that the, whatever the need is in the community they're trying to make meet that need and the other thing that they're doing is working um, with survivors who still need access to protection orders. So the whole protection order system has moved to a, it's a remote system. It's all by phone. Um, there's still there's still courts are still open, but not you know the door is just ajar. It's not wide open. Yes. So they're um, so they're working with uh, you know the network runs a legal clinic. They're working with our attorneys to make sure that folks have legal representation where they're going to get a protection order. And um, I, I mean, just the, the, what this speaks to to me is this amount of resiliency that exists in these organizations. You know, they've got, the core is so solid that because the world are, around them is wild, but they're right. like, they are rock solid. They know what their job is and they just keep running up to these challenges, centering survivors, and, and saying, okay, this is what we need to change. And so let's just do that. It's, it's been the most remarkable three weeks, I'll tell you. It's incredible. And I think in so many ways, you know, when we're used to responding to crises, we now have this global crisis and it's like, all right, game on. We've got this. Right. That's we right. can do yeah. this. Um, like mm -hmm. we've been taking all these trainings and we've gotten the education yeah. and this is a whole different thing than we've ever experienced, but we can do this. And right. it's really been remarkable to see. I mean, I'm lucky to have Maxine Grad as my state representative uh, yeah. here. You are. For our listeners yes. who don't know, is incredibly victim-centered and very victim-focused mm -hmm. in her work. And so I've been in a lot of communication with her and gotten to sit on some calls from the legislator mm -hmm. to see how things are working. And I just really applaud um, everyone who's put these measures in so quickly and hasn't slept, yeah. hasn't eaten and right. is there to serve, to serve victims. Um, which I mean, would lead me into our next question is, you know, as we followed our governor, governor Scott's orders to stay home and stay safe, how did the state begin to respond to the reality that many are not safe at home? Yeah. And, you know, we've, it sounds like the center, like all the different victim service centers are working really well, but how do we begin to think about everyone who might be become a victim of domestic violence during this mm -hmm. time? We're really worried about this situation um, in Vermont homes where, uh, where somebody's living with an abusive partner and they don't have the, um, they don't have the space or the privacy or the confidentiality to be able to make a call. To, um, or they or they may just be like in serious lockdown yeah. and at high risk. I would say that um, this is probably the most frequent question that I'm asked about. You know what's happening in these places in these homes where people can't leave. Um, and I 
I there's I have a couple of reactions to that. First of all, I wish I had really good answers. I don't. Yeah. I don't have really good answers. This is unprecedented. We have systems that are built for um, for people who are in really difficult situations and may only have 10 minutes to have make a phone call and brainstorm about some safety planning um, or make arrangements to, to, um, to come out and meet with an advocate or decide to go into shelter. But, but often um, those situations are, those are opportunities that survivors take advantage of because they have just a little space. But, but it seems like there's a lot of people right now who have no space. So, um, so the, the silver lining in all of that perhaps is that so many people are really concerned about these folks. Everybody from the Vermont's, um, you know, the, the Colonel of the State Police to the Attorney General to, I can't tell you how many legislators have asked us this question. So if I could say anything to those survivors is that we know you're there and when you get the moment, to get help, we're, we're here. We're worried, we're so worried about the increase in purchasing of guns and ammunition because we know that the presence of a gun in a violent home increases the likelihood for serious injury or, or death by, by exponential uh, numbers. So this, you know, the state has, um, I, I, I think sometimes people wanna point fingers and blame mm -hmm state government, and I, I can tell you that I have nothing bad to say, That's only awesome. good to say about, about everyone from Governor Scott to, um, I mean, I just can't think of anybody who's dropping the ball. You know, we were contacted a couple of weeks ago by the Attorney General's office and the state police. They wanted to issue a joint um, press release reminding survivors that the hotlines are open, that help's available. We did that uh, just at the end of the first week. Yeah. And um, that was, you know, that was not me calling them. They called me and said, we really want to do this. We're really worried. I've been so impressed with, um, th with what's happening at the Department of Corrections. They are all hands on deck. They are awesome. working so hard to make sure that COVID doesn't sp spread through Vermont's prisons. As you, as you know, Anna, the Vermont network has really been part of the, um, the reform effort, especially around the um, Chittenden Regional Correction Facility. Yes. We, because we know that about 100% of the women that we house in our um, only female prison are have experienced domestic and sexual violence. And uh, in the past two weeks, they've released 36 women from the prison. I don't know if you heard the story on VPR this morning. They interviewed a woman who lives there and she said that uh, from the very beginning, they've had adequate supplies. They have plenty of hand sanitizer and um, gloves and the place is being cleaned continuously and they're getting information about COVID, um, but they're doing awesome. a really great job of, of really making space inside the prison. Usual, I think the average daily census is around 130, 140. So they're below 90 now and um, releasing folks. Of course, we worry about where folks are going after they get released but they wanna make space inside the prison so that people aren't you know, live, living right up against each other. Uh, I've already talked about the Office of Economic Opportunity. They've been outstanding. Uh, I just, I, you know, across state government, we've just heard, and I, I just wanna mention legislators. I have heard from so many legislators, as have our staff, 
asking what's needed, what can we do? What are the legislative initiatives we need to consider? What, you know, do you have enough money? How can we, how can we work in the feds to get more money into, into Vermont? Uh, just, you know, over and over and over again, folks really worried about survivors and about their member organizations. And I guess the last group I would talk about is our, our congressional delegation. Um, they've been in weekly, weekly emails, calls, um, both Senator uh, Leahy's office, Senator Sanders' office, as well as Congressman Welch's office, very concerned about what's happening here. In fact, I answered the phone call. I answered my phone, my cell phone the other day, and it was Congressman Welch on the other end asking, wow. you know, what's going on? What do you need? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So That's uh, great. Can't say enough. Can't say enough. It tells me that people really care about, I mean, so often, you know, I'm, I'm going on and on. And on. That's fine. But, Please do. You know, people like sometimes I think survivors feel so alone, you know, yeah. you're out there on your own. And what I know is that there's people that really care yes. about Vermonters in this terrible situation. They really care and people with power. So, you know, I think about what's the long arc of this experience? What are we learning from this? This is one of my big takeaways is that we, we are all in this together and we, um, the, there are so many people out there that are so concerned about what's happening um, That's awesome. to, to Vermonters experiencing this stuff. It's really good to hear because in a time like this one, you know, we're, you know, I immediately started getting people emailing me, what's going to happen to people who are right. stuck in homes, this and that. Right. And, you know, in some ways it almost felt like this was a step back, but talking mm -hmm. to you, it's like, this is a step forward because this is present, immediately present for so many people. Yes. And I mean, yes. I was kind of surprised by the people that reached out to me that weren't people I expected to, to be like, right. what's happening right now? What's mm -hmm. being done? How's law enforcement responding? How, yeah. how is this going to work? And right. so it's great to hear that our whole state is really on the same team for this and taking it really absolutely. seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. It's amazing. It's like, um, I, we feel like I've got my questions here. We kind of went I'm through lunch at once. No, it's good. Yeah. I just ask the questions and let you talk. That's really what it is. <laughs> well, Anna, you know I'm a talker. <laughs> it's good. Um, what advice? Well, I have two questions. One, how is law enforcement responding to calls mm -hmm. that come in from mm -hmm. from homes of domestic violence? Um, so I guess that would be my first question. Yeah, this is a question we're asking the field all the time. And we're, we're hearing, uh, once in a while, we'll hear that, you know, the things could have gone better uh, in a very specific case. But what we're hearing across the state is that uh, law enforcement are still coming out. They're going out to domestic violence calls. You know, this was a set aside in one of the, one of the uh, I can't remember if it was a bill or, a, uh, or a, an executive order, but, but domestic violence is, is a is a call that law enforcement will respond to and they are responding to it. So we're not actually seeing any um, anything different there. You know, what we are seeing is that right now in this moment, uh, well, you know, I'm just gonna, I don't wanna give this too much energy. There was a press release that was released by a group of, it's this organ, it's a national organization that actually wants to do away with the Violence Against Women Act. It was released yesterday uh, and it sounds like it's a legitimate domestic violence advocacy organization. It is not. But they were talking about um, decreases in, in the number of hotline calls. And, um, and so I, want, I just want to really reflect on what's going on right now. 
it has to do with your question about law enforcement because this press release asked law enforcement about the number of calls. So I think, you know, we just talked about people that are isolated in their homes with an abusive partner and how just logic would tell you that it would be hard for them to reach out. Absolutely. You know, they don't have the space to do it. And just like the rest of us, they're also homeschooling. They're worried about how to get groceries. They're out of toilet paper. You know, all the things that everybody else is experiencing, survivors are also experiencing. But the, um, but so what we're seeing in our state at this moment is that there is uh, a, just a slight decrease in the number of calls, but the calls that we are getting, are the situation is very serious. That makes sense. You know, it's very yeah. serious. It does. It just makes perfect sense. In talking to folks, um, we've been in conversation with folks primarily from Louisiana who were present and doing advocacy uh, during the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Remember that? The, um, mm-hmm the explosion out on that rig in, in the Gulf of Mexico, and then Katrina. Yep. And what they told us uh, is that it is not unusual in the moments in the very beginning, and we still are at the very beginning, you know, that things are going to quiet down, but they're not going to stay quiet. Yep. They're not, as, soon as, as soon as all that stuff gets settled that we talked about, as soon as there's access to phone or things get really bad inside the house, then that's going to, there, there will be actually be we should be preparing for quite an increase in the number of people coming for help. And that's starting to happen in Washington state. Yep. Um, so, you know, we're, we're uh, the programs are getting ready for that there. Um, and I think that the, the, the partnerships and communities between uh, the, the member organizations and law enforcement are, they're also in, you know, they're preparing for that reality. I think it'll happen. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't really know how to respond to that because it just. <laughs> right. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And I don't normally feel that way on this. I can usually handle just about anything. But yeah. I mean, I think like that leads me to the question is like, what can we as community members, neighbors, mm-hmm. people in our small, I mean, I live in a very rural area so many of mm-hmm. us do here what can we right. be doing as community members and neighbors right now during this time mm-hmm. to to be there for others who may be in a harmful situation yeah well <clears throat> certainly make a donation certainly make yes. a donation um the i know a lot of people uh, think well you know now is the time for me to to volunteer and i would never dissuade someone from volunteering but understand that it is a, a pretty heavy lift right now for folks to do volunteer training. You can't, yep. I mean, you have to have training to be able to do, do this work. Um, the, the, the programs are in need of supplies, just like everybody else is. As I said, they're giving out a lot of food, they're giving out um, other supplies. They, um, there, was a, there was a, for a little while, there was concerns about toilet paper. There were, you know, the shelters were Absolutely. Off. Operating on low low supplies of toilet paper, and they were very worried about that. They found a supplier, and I think things are going better um, along those lines. But you know, the thing that you could do is just ask, ask what's needed. Yep. Um, if you go to our website www.vtnetwork.org, uh, and it, under under the tab that says Get Help, if you click on that, then it goes to an interactive map, and you just click on uh, you know where you are on this map and it'll take you right to your local um, organization. 
ask what they need. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you, if you have the means to make a donation, I know they would so deep, just so deeply appreciate it. Absolutely. Everyone go oh, donate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And stay home <laughs> and stay home. Yeah. Stay home. And I mean, we're checking in our neighbors, you know, we're yeah. checking to see if people need groceries and right, right. making that phone call can sometimes, you know, if there is a situation where someone's in danger, might give them the ability to share that with you. Right. Um, right. We were yeah. talking this morning when we, we do, we do meetings, we do a, a zoom meeting with all of our member organizations every Friday and every Tuesday. And, um, you know, we're sharing a lot of information and they're sharing what's happening with them. And one of the things that is true about them, you know, they're essential workers. So they're allowed to be out. They're state recognized that they are absolutely essential to the people that they serve, but they don't have any equipment. They don't have um, no masks, no gloves. And of course, what they're saying to me today was, well, you know, we want to, we need to prioritize that stuff getting to hospitals, but they, they, you know, they're out there, they're, they're meeting with people, they're doing this work and they just don't have any of the, that kind of supply. They don't need the whole, you know, hazmat suit. Yeah. The masks. Yeah. If you're making masks, consider looking at that interactive map on the vtnetwork.org and yeah. Get in touch to see if they could use those. Absolutely. Yeah, they, I'm, I know they would welcome that. That's a great idea. Too. Thank you for that. Um, so I kind of want to shift as we're starting to wind back down. Like if we have listeners right now who are in quarantine, who are at home with that are in harm's way, like mm-hmm. what advice would you give to them? And then we'll kind of finish it up with what resources, but I just like to okay. hear what your, what your advice would well, be. You know, the thing that I think that the thing that we always need to remember is that survivors are experts on their lives. They know, they know their partner really well. They're experts at staying safe. They're experts at surviving. I mean, that's why we call them survivors. And so um, what I would say is to, is for all of us to recognize that. And um, survivors who are, are in homes with abusive partners will know that, um, that they already know where the places in their homes where they can step away, where they can lock a door, where they can, um, you know, kind of find safety inside their home. So thinking about a, you know, a safety plan is helpful. It is, uh, you know, we, for years and years we've talked about engaging trusted family members or neighbors and just having some backup help. So that, you know, I can remember living next door to a to a woman when I was, gosh, I mean, this was so long ago. I'm so old anymore, but this is like in the 1980s. And she, um, I was in my twenties and she came and she, and I didn't know anything about this. I was not doing this work back then. She came and she said, listen, my husband, I have a protection order. You see my husband, or if you see that my front lights, my porch light is on, can you just call the police? And I mean, it's so interesting back in those days. So we did call the police and and nobody came. Oh. And because then we didn't have the loss, right? And so then right. we, we did, so it happened again, we called the police, but this time we said, that we think there's a prowler. And the police came, like three sh- cars showed up in five minutes. Oh, wow. And um, I'll never forget it, you know, because I honestly, I knew nothing about this. Right. And they said, when they realized that it was, that this, the, the husband had shown up and when the police came, he disappeared. And they said, oh, the, the wife had said, said, oh, it's my husband. And they said, oh, it's a domestic, we're out of here. And we said, 
you know, we don't, we just saw Prowler. We don't know that it was him. And so they stayed and they were looking around and they eventually found him. He had gotten up onto the roof of their house and he was hiding behind the chimney. And they brought him down and arrested him, kept him overnight. He showed up on my front porch the next day and said, why'd you call the police on me? I mean, it's a, a drama, right? But right. Um, so the thing is, is that people who are living in abusive homes know what their lives are. They know what their lives are. They know that they're, you know, if things, they know to get their kids out of harm's way. One of the things that, um, that they might consider is, you know, if there's firearms in the home, is hiding them or just hiding the bullets. There might be consequences to do, for doing that. So they have to use their own judgment. But the thing to know is that the hotlines are open, that the organizations are open for helping, that they can get a protection order, that the police will come if they call. Awesome. Um, and that there's you know, a whole community of people that really care about them. Yes, that is true. There's a whole state, a community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's response that cares for them and is there. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, can you share, I mean, I know through vermontnetwork.org or vtnetwork.org. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Yeah, vtnetwork.org. Okay. vtnetwork.org. You can find the interactive map of all the different centers in right. our state. Right. Um, is there any national information that you think would be like a best place for people to go who aren't in Vermont? There's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. There's also a, a national sexual violence hotline through an organization called RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. Those resources are on our website. Um, the, the, and they, they answer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They will help if, for folks, um, you know, if that's a number you call, then what generally happens is there's a good person on the other end of that call who will listen carefully to what's going on for you and, um, and then help make, a re help make a referral to services in state. So awesome. there's also a statewide, statewide hotline that's on our website as well. And then um, the local organizations all have phones that are answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Awesome. So, so anywhere you're listening in this world, you could go to the vtnetwork.org right. and it's all there. get information for whatever state or area you're in, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. It's a really mm -hmm. easy site to navigate. It's well done. Yeah, thank you. Well, Karen, it's been an honor having you here today to discuss this um, topic and just during this really fragile time, it's so encouraging to hear what our state is doing and sounds like what other states are doing as well to respond to interpersonal violence right now. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love having your voice on here and your wisdom and really Thanks. your leadership in our state. Um, you are an incredible leader in our state on this. Thank and you. Thank you so much. So appreciate. Thank you um, so much for getting the word out. I really yes. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for just jumping on this. I mean, within 48 hours doing this interview with me is awesome. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, if you could share one positive short message in closing to our listeners, do you have something? You know what occurs to me in these times? There's two things. We're going to get through this. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through it. It's hard, but we'll get through it. And we're, we're going to get through it together. Yes, we are. Yeah. So that's, I, we, we are, we are together. Yep. I keep coming back to this phrase stronger together. And yes, yeah, I can yeah. feel that more than ever right now um, from my little rural spot here 
in the hills of Vermont. I just feel so mm -hmm. connected with so many people. So yeah, thank yeah. you for reminding us of that. Um, yeah, thank you. And thank you for being here. Um, it's an it's honor. An honor. It's been an honor to have. It's an honor, you. honor. Yeah. Honor. Yeah, I love um, you. Love you too. <laughs> Um, and to all of our listeners, if you have any questions about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nasset, and I look forward to sharing more with you um, here on The Mend. Be well, be strong. We're stronger together. Thank you so much. <laughs>